We are in the book of Acts. We are going to be here for the rest of our lives. You know, we're just going to just keep treading through. But, but you know, hopefully we're just going to keep learning of God and his faithfulness to us. Um, but book of Acts, we're in chapter 9 today. We, we're not going to make it all the way through 9. Last week, we were in Acts. Last month, we were in Acts. But anyways, um, and we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and the story of God using him. There was a thing that we didn't cover last week that I just want to point out, in case you didn't know it, that long before Gene Roddenberry... Okay. Okay, long before Gene Roddenberry thought of this, God was beaming people up and around. Star Trek, in case you're still going, who the heck is Gene Roddenberry? All right. And uh, at the end of, we're not going to go over this, but the end of Acts chapter 8, in case you've ever missed this, after uh, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, which is awesome because, the, and I'll do this real quick too, is the eunuch says, hey, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, baptism isn't just this thing you do. It says, and so Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So, so, so they get baptized. He gets. He goes. I do. They stop the chariot and they get baptized. So this is really cool. And uh, Philip baptizes him. When he comes up out of the water, Philip is beamed up, and and he's. It, <laughs> it doesn't say beam. That's the Greek word. Actually, <laughs> it was bimo. Um, <laughs> When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. Wouldn't that be cool? You, you're getting baptized, you come up, and the guy baptizing you is gone. And, and God just moved him, I guess, and put him somewhere else. With God, all things are possible. Some of you have had crazy things happen in your life. Some of you have stories in here of God's faithfulness, or, or maybe you didn't even attest it to God, that you're afraid to tell people because it's so weird. Doesn't you have a story that's so weird you hesitate to tell people about it? There's a couple of people, right? There's, 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 you're, yeah, they're not going to believe me anyways. You know, I got a friend who was, was uh, going down the front way. And right past at that, that swoopy, the really sharp swooping turn past uh, Snow Forest. No, it's not Snow Forest, Snow Valley. You know, that, 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 w- that last one right after the thing. And he, he goes around it, and a Jeep skids out of control and starts coming across the road right in front of him. And he says, oh, Jesus, Cl- closed his eyes. And next thing he knows, he's on the other side of the Jeep. Okay? And we all go, no way. Why not? You know, why not? Can God do that? I just go, hey, man, I love it. Let's just let God be God. And everyone else, be a liar. That's, that's what the Bible says. All right, so we're in Acts chapter 9. Philip was just beamed up. And we're at the beginning of, of this next place where we're going to learn. We're going to begin to meet one of the the greatest man who ever lived, one of the most influential people I- in the world in all of history, because it was Paul who wrote almost half of the Bible, 
uh, it was Paul who, who formed, even who put together the doctrines that we follow and, and, and was such a big part in the, the foundation of the beginning of Christianity. Starting in verse 1, Fathers, we get into the Word. Pray that uh, you would enlighten it to each and every one of us, Father. You'd speak as only you can to each and every one of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letter from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, what I want to say is we're going to go through like 19, 20, 21 verses today. It's going to be kind of an overview. Um, and so it's going to be, that that's how we're going to do it. So who is this Saul? Saul becomes Paul the Apostle later on. Saul was a Jew. We learn a lot about him as we read the, le- the letters in the Bible, the Galatians and Ephesians, Corinthians. He talks a little bit about himself in, in some of the different letters, so we get a little background on who he is. He's a Jew. He refers to himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was from a place called Tarsus, which Tarsus is actually modern-day Turkey. So he was born about... 500 or so miles away from Jerusalem but but he was a Jew and he was um, the son of a Pharisee he was a Pharisee himself he said he kept the law his love for the law was was so incredible he kept every detail of the law there's actually a book that was written um, in about AD 160 from some other sources it was called the Acts of Paul in, in and Thecla, and it, the book exists today. Um, the The question is, is they don't know if it's authentic or not. But for the first three hundred years of Christianity, the the founding fathers of Christianity referred to this story of Thecla, and she was a woman who was recognized as a true woman of faith for over three hundred years at the beginning of Christianity. So I'm not saying the book is is for sure accurate, but it was definitely around and th- and and thought of well. In this book, we actually have the only known description of Paul. Now. It may not be accurate. I'm, I, I'm not saying that it is. But it has, if, if you've ever seen a drawing of Paul, you're going to say they got the drawing from this description. In, in the book of Acts of Paul and Thecla, it says uh, this, At length they saw a man coming, namely Paul, of a small stature with meeting eyebrows, bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, hollow-eyed with a large crooked nose. He was full of grace, for sometimes he appeared as a man, sometimes he had the countenance of an angel. And Paul saw Onesiphorus and was glad. That's the only known description of Paul. They, uh, there's a, the, well, there's a couple other uh, places also. Paul existed. This is not disputed in the world. In fact, the, fa- the fact that Paul existed and we find him converting to Christianity is one of the proofs that Christianity is real. Why would somebody convert to a religion that was fake? That, that you know, what happened to Paul who was the persecutor of the church? I'm getting ahead of myself. And so this is really, th- so Paul, Paul existed. There was another th- description of Paul that says he was three cubits. That's five feet or less. So, so, so Paul was like Zacchaeus, man. He was a wee little man. Anyway, so if these things are true, this is kind of a picture of Paul. Just, that's kind of extra. So have, has anyone ever seen a picture of Paul? Matthew's seen a couple. Bow-legged, he's like, oh my gosh, I've seen he's got a bow-legged. He's, this is why. 
So was he bow-legged and bald-headed? And it could be bald-headed. It could have been mint-shaved and who knows. Anyways. So, because I'm not very tall, so at least I'm in good company with Paul. <laughs> Anyways. So, but his name at the beginning is Saul. Saul means desired. Saul means desired. It, through the course of his salvation, which we're going we're gonna to see, see here, and, and his ministry, his name gets changed to Paul. Now, of course, Saul is, is likely, he was named Saul after King Saul. Saul, uh, he, uh, he said he was a Benjamite himself. And so we don't know if there was any family lineage there or not. But his name changes to Paul, which simply means little. Simply means little. And so that, that kind of backs up maybe that he was small. But I also think there's a spiritual significance to this. I, I think Saul was, Saul was a man full of pride. He was definitely a man full of anger, full of zeal, zealous. And when he has a salvation experience, his life is changed. And so, so he even says, I'm the least of the apostles. So there's a, there's a spiritual meaning there. So, so he's from Tarsus, but he's a Jew. And this guy, zealous is an understatement. Zealous is an understatement. Now, we know that in the Old, in the old Testament that some of the um, prophets even, like Elijah, would kill those opposed to God. So, right, and you know, Joshua, the whole thing. So killing in the name of God had happened. But here we are, you know, hundreds, thousands of years later, really, and here's Paul killing the uh, opponents of God. If you have the NIV and you read it, it, it makes it sound like it was um, murderous threats. Murderous threats. That's not a good translation. Breathing threats and murder. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He actually had his hand in killing Christians, not just threatening people. And, and here he is. He's not asked to go arrest the people of the way. He's volunteering. He goes to the synagogue and says, let me go get him. Damascus is 170 miles away from Jerusalem. I mean, he's like, I'll go get him anywhere. Give me permission, and I'll go arrest him. This man was above just being zealous for God. He, 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 he had something out that maybe, is, is there an anger, a hatred? I'm not sure what drove him. But, but that's exactly what he does in verse 1. He says, um, he, uh, verse 2, he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who are of the way, whether men or women, at least he's not a chauvinist, he'll arrest you, man or woman. It's good, good. <sighs> that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I mean, go up a hundred. Uh, uh, how many of you have walked 170 miles? <laughs> Where's Evan? Evan's done that. And then he was going to bring him back to Jerusalem. It's, a, it's, it's at least a week's journey, 10 to 20 miles a day walking. So a week, 10 days journey. And it says, as he journeyed, verse 3, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. I, I think it was, was interesting in, my, in, in reading that, that you've got this person who's per- persecuting the church. He's going to arrest the Christians. 
And, and we're feeling some of these things today, more and more in, in the world. Um, right now there's a Senate bill out that if it passes, it it's really could change Christian colleges. Um, I put it on my Facebook. If this passes in the form that it's written, the college that Matthew attends is going to have to stop doing a few things and, uh, or they're going to lose a lot of their, their funding and anything else. If a, if a married homosexual couple comes to the church to the school they have to give them housing not only that if somebody who identifies as the other gender they will have to let them stay in the dorm so so matthew could have a a a woman who believes that she's a man living in his dorm okay that's that's happening right now so we're we're beginning to get under under persecution and and they're and they're saying well not only are we going to do it out here we're going to come into church and we're going to make you change your rules to for us so if it keeps going that way, we'll be under more persecution too. So, so, and that's just, honestly, that's just a little bit. That's just a little, that's just, you know, a little persecution. Saul is killing Christians and arresting them. And, but it's good to see what's about to happen here because no matter how big the opposition is, our God is bigger. Our God is bigger. So he's almost to Damascus and God waits until he's almost there before he does this, this thing. He says, um, as he journeyed, came to Damascus, suddenly a light, from, uh, a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so this light, you know, it's, it's reminiscent of, of the, uh, the angels in the light showing uh, at the birth of Christ. You know, it's maybe even similar to the fire on the hill. There's something really big. Now, now some uh, commentators uh, said maybe it was even like a lightning strike, a light shone from heaven, and then he cannot see, which we're about to see, and then uh, and and he can't, and he doesn't eat for three days. So some people says he was maybe even struck by lightning, and actually a lightning bolt will do that. It'll give you such muscle contractions that it makes it difficult to swallow. And so I don't know if it was that or just, but this light comes. He he falls to the ground, and he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's all that this light says to Saul. And so Saul says, who are you, Lord? Now I want to say that the word Lord in there doesn't necessarily mean that he's going Lord God. It's, it's just a title. Um, it's respect. It's in, in, it could be used very much like sir. If you guys uh, know anything of history, you know, they kings and ladies, my Lord, my Lord. Uh, and so we don't know for sure if Saul is, is understanding who this is yet. Um, but he says, who are you, Lord? Now, I'm a little suspicious here, actually. I think he knows who it is, but he's afraid to admit it. And I'll tell you, let's, we'll keep reading. I'll show you why. So the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I'm going to stop before we hit the rest. God, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the people. Jesus is so connected to his body that you cannot separate us from him. When you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. That's that's important for us because when you gossip, slander, backbite the church, you gossip, slander, backbite Jesus. Okay? Jesus is so connected. We are his church. We are his people. And he says, you're mine. He says, you are mine. 
and he is ours. We're, we're so connected. We need to remember that, but also, isn't that wonderful to know that, I mean, talk about, about, about having that, you know, big brother who's going to save you. When I was young, I lived over right over by uh, Circle K, and I moved into a new house, and all the neighbor kids, they were bad. They were bad. I was walking down the street one of the first days I lived there, and some neighbor kids were throwing rocks at me and just, just trying to pelt me. Later on, they became my best friends. Isn't that how it works? But they were throwing rocks, and I'm running and ducking. And over the hill, because we lived on Rainbow, um, this, this car came, and it was my sister and her boyfriend. Well, her boyfriend at the time, he was like six foot one and weighed like 240 pounds or something. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> Jesus is better than your big brother. When you're persecuted, he takes it personal. He takes it personally, and he comes, and he's our defender. And so, so Saul says, Why are, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And we've heard that. You've said it. It's kind of a weird statement. A goad is a pointed stick that they would use to, to jab into, like, oxen when they were trying to get them to go from one place to another. So it's kind of, you know, just, ah, you know, like that. And so the, the idea of kicking against a goad would be like an animal who just has had enough of it and is hitting against it or kicking the stick away. They're in rebellion against what, what the driver is trying to do. Right? That's kicking against the goads. That's what it means. So it's the animal who's like, I'm not having this. I'm going to kick the stick even though it might hurt me. And, and Jesus says... It's hard to kick against the goads. That would tell us, likely, that Paul was persecuting Christians under conviction. That he knew something was telling him, this is wrong. But he was doing it anyway. And I know none of you have ever done that. So we're safe to just assume that none of us have ever, you know, not known something was wrong, but did it anyway. So we'll move on. <laughs> and so in verse, in verse 6, he says, uh, and I love this little part. Um, it says, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I would be trembling too. You've just been arresting, murdering people, and now you're finding out that these are the people of God and that God is on their side. You ever found yourself on the wrong side? You know, you thought you are on the right side, thought you are on the right side, and def- maybe defending something or someone, and then all of a sudden find out y- you were on the r- wrong side? It's, pre- it's a pretty bad feeling. So this is, pa- this is Saul. He's going, oh, man. trembling. He says, and, and this question is really interesting. It says, um, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. We, we breeze through this all the time. I breeze through this all the time. I, mean, I want to slow this down to he- let you hear it. Because I, I heard it this week. What do you want me to do? I'll tell you what you have to do. Hear the difference? Okay, what do you want me to do? No, this isn't about what I want you to do. I'm going to tell, tell you what you must do. You must do this. 
there's that that commitment God is putting on you, you this is you have to do this this isn't like you know you could you, would you mind going to the store would you do this for me you can kind of have the right no I like to do that to people would you do me a favor no it's just fun but but Jesus is being really straight no this isn't about me wanting you to do something for me you must do this that's just kind of sim- something simple there and the men who journeyed with him, now, now Saul on this journey likely would have had uh, some people with him even for, for protection and traveling companions, and likely he would have a number of the, of the guard, the Jewish guard, to help make the arrests, and they have to transport people back. So we don't know how many people there, but there was a, a few people with him. Verse 7 says that the men who journeyed with him, they stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And we really don't, this is about all we hear from them. But, but w- when I read that, I thought, that's, that's what happens to a lot of us. Maybe it happened to you, um, when you when you came to Christ. Something happens, and it changes you. You have an encounter with Jesus. Whether it was, was drastic, like a Saul episode, and that some of you have had, had to have testimonies like that. Um, or whether it was, was quiet, but something happens to you, and the people around you, see something but don't quite understand it they 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 don't hear anything they don't understand what just happened to you and you're like yeah but this thing just happened to me and and i felt like god was speaking to me and they go i kind of see something happening in your life but i don't get it and that's okay because god is dealing with you and so we need to be firm, even as Saul does, because the next verse it says, so Saul arose from the ground, and, and when his eyes were opened, that means that this light was so bright, everything happening, he closed his eyes. Kind of like, you know, you know, if you close your eyes, it's not happening. When I was little, it's like, oh, just... The scary things go away when you close your eyes. So it sounds like his whole episode, he's got his eyes closed. Like the cowardly lion. I, I, I do believe in God. I do believe in God. His eyes were opened. He saw no one. Now, no one, the, the Greek word can also be nothing. And I think that would actually be a better translation. He saw nothing. His eyes were opened and he saw nothing. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So, so there's the people around him were like, okay, well, let's still care for him. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. I, I don't know. Was he fasting? Maybe. Was he depressed? Possibly. He spent his life the last, this is about five years or so after the stoning of Stephen. He has spent the last five years persecuting Christians. At, the, at, at this point, there is a, a large group of Christians in Damascus. So the church is growing. That's 170 miles away from Jerusalem. So the, the church is not just relegated to Jerusalem. Not only are there Christians there, but the Christians in Jerusalem know that there's Christians there because they actually sent a delegation up to Damascus to warn them that Saul was coming. And so, so the church is growing. It's about five years later. Saul has likely spent the last five years persecuting the church in one way or another. And he's confronted with his sin. So he could be depressed. You ever been so depressed you didn't want to eat or drink? It happens. 
It happens. Uh, he could have been fasting to get closer to the Lord. We're not, we're not sure exactly what happened. Now, at the same time that he goes in there, in verse 10, it says, There was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. Um, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and I love his answer, Here I am, Lord. Right? When you have a relationship with the Lord, one of the ways you can tell if you're close to the Lord or not is the difference between Saul's answer and Ananias's answer. When God calls to you, do you kind of go, who are you? Or do you say, here am I, Lord? Are we pushing into the Lord? Or are we backing away from the Lord? Hey, you know what's great about this? You're the judge. You get to figure that out. But, but if you're the one who's backing away from the Lord, I encourage you, stop it! And walk into him. Be like Ananias. Here, my Lord. And he says, and the Lord says, Arise and go to the street called Straight, um, which, you know, the, the, just the, the name of the street. It's actually a, a very long street. They actually believe they found Judas's house. It's in historically, they think they know what house that Paul was waiting in on Straight Street. Uh, this was such a prominent street, it could be like Fifth Avenue in New York. I mean, it's a street that you would know of. It's a prominent street. Um, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus for behold he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight now I don't know about you but if I was going to ask somebody to do something that isn't pleasing I would maybe leave some of the details out to get him to do it I've never done this with my children of course but, um, you know, he says, go and you're going to find Saul. And he says, of Tarsus. Well, he could have just been like, you're going to find a, ask for a guy named Saul who just came in. And, and you'll find him because Saul's blind. Jesus knew this. He could have said that. And Anna says, oh, sure, I'll go because Saul's a normal name. But he says Saul of Tarsus. Well, Ananias knows who Saul of Tarsus is. And he goes, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. This is great. Hey, Matthew, will you go, will you go take uh, Madeline and all of her friends down to the, the pizza parlor? They're going to have a birthday thing, and, you know, and we're going to have like six kids, and Matthew would say, like, you know, Dad, you know what they do to your car, you know? You don't want them to mess up your car. You can hear that excuse like, right? This is what, this is what Ananias is doing. He says, how much harm he has done to your saints. God, you don't want me to go to him. He's hurt your saints. I'm just protecting you, God. And, 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 there he, and he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And here's what God's answer is. Go. You know, you know, when we have all these arguments about God and trying to talk him out of things, I love it because sometimes he just, he doesn't respond to the argument always. It's, most of the time, I don't think he does. Here he doesn't. But, 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 go. He didn't say, oh, I've put my spirit in him. He's going to, you know, he's fine now. He, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then verse 16. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
the cost of discipleship is high. Being a Christian isn't easy. There's a cost. Some of you have walked away from relationships, friends, jobs, prestige. Some of you uh, live with the constant ridicule or teasing from family members. In other countries, I mean, there's physical, physical challenges. I've, I've got to see it a, f- a few times firsthand. There's, there, there's a high cost. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Paul writes this. There has been a gospel preached that says, accept Jesus and your life will be great. If that was, if that was the guys that got you into the church, I apologize because somebody lied to you. Because that's not... Now, your afterlife is great. The afterlife is definitely great. The retirement plan of Christianity is out of this world. But um, here's what Paul says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Verse 7, I'm sorry. Second Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Remember, P- Paul, he's beaten, 39 lashes, uh, shipwrecked, viper bitten. I mean, his very first thing, we're, we're probably going to get all the way there, is they're trying to kill him, and so they have to lower him out of a basket in a window. The fact that he's only five feet tall makes that a little more understandable, too. He's just a little guy. Just stuff him in a little tote and throw him out. But... <laughs> Struck down, we're not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. How many times have you read this? How many times have I read this and we just read through? In fact, we get to this part and we go, we're oppressed but not in crust, persecuted, and we start singing it. Woo! <laughs> I'm blessed beyond the curse for his promise will endure. Slow down. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. He died for us, and it wasn't pretty. And sometimes in life, we carry around in our own body that same thing. Persecution, danger, difficulties. That the life of Jesus also be maybe manifested in our body. For we, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Let's put that on a Hallmark card. That the, life <laughs> that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death but life is here. So then death is working in us but life in you. And since we have, and we'll just stop there. You know, this is, this is Paul's thing. He's going, yeah, this is tough. This is what, what was talked about here in, in Acts chapter 9. When he says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias in verse 17. Let's keep going. Um, Yeah. And he went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Three days. What have I done with my life? I've persecuted the wrong people. I'm blind. I'm alone. I, I can't go back to the group that I was with because I've met this Jesus. They're not going to receive me there. But this group is probably not going to receive me either because I killed their uncle. 
I killed their brother. I arrested them. I didn't care if men or women. He's, he, he's probably not in a very good place. And what does Ananias say? Brother Saul. I'm accepted. I shouldn't be, but I'm accepted. And Ananias comforts him by that simple phrase. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He walks into the room, doesn't get the backstory. I have a feeling that Saul's not talking about it himself. He might have. And Ananias says, I know what happened to you on the road. Jesus, who, who saw you on the road, yeah, he sent me to you. And you're going to be filled. You're going to receive your sight. Imagine being blind for three days. I would think it's over. I was talking with, with Bonnie this morning, and we'll pray for her on Tuesday. She's getting a hip replacement. Her first hip replacement surgery, she was told by the doctor, I hope this is okay, you'll never walk again because they messed it up. You'll never see again. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never. Lots of fear. But God comes into the moment through a man and says, you're going to receive your sight. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God cares. God knows. God is on our side. He's our defender. And he's going to come and do something. And immediately, it says he lays his hand upon him. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. You know, God will always come in and he'll bring comfort. He brings healing. He brings life. Though we're persecuted, though we're, we're crushed, we're not abandoned, we're not in despair, we're not crushed. In fact, the Bible, Bible says that those who fall on the rock, meaning Jesus, will be broken, but those on whom the rock falls on will be crushed to pieces. Part of the Christian walk is that we need to fall on Jesus and our lives are going to be broken because we need to be broken. We have our own thoughts and our wishes and our desires and God needs to break some of those things off so he can come and bring life. Don't wait, church, until the rock falls on you because that's a crushing experience. And he comes and he wants to come into each of our lives. And it says in verse 19, he says, he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. I came to Damascus to arrest you and now I'm sitting here hanging out. This is weird. This is weird. Some of you came to church just to appease somebody and you went, these people are crazy. Now you are one. <laughs> and, and I think that's, I, I'm pretty sure that's probably some of your stories go, man, I used to just laugh at those crazy Christians. First time I went to a, a full gospel church where they were speaking in tongues, I literally left the, 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 the church building laughing at the crazy people. 
I mean, I was just laughing. I says, they're crazy. And I says, I am never going back there again. Within about three weeks, I was here, which we were even crazier than there. And then a, and a month or so later, I get, I, I'm saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I are one. <laughs> Paul became one. Man, his life just got changed upside, just got turned upside down. Absolutely. He was bad news. I mean, he wasn't just out, you know, tagging buildings and stealing hubcaps, and he was killing Christians. And God turns his life around and saves him. No matter what your difficulty is, God can meet it. No matter who's coming against you, God is bigger. No matter what the odds, press into him. Trust him. He will see us through this. This next section is, is we're just going to leave it. We'll get that next week. There's so many wonderful things that we see in, in, in this passage. I want to kind of summarize some of these just so we can be, kind of get a handle. And We see that God has a plan and he'll use anyone. Anyone who's willing, he'll use them. Some he, he's going to put into the path of, of uh, popularity in a sense. Like Paul, I mean, he becomes one of the most influential people in the world. Christianity is the biggest religion in the world. Paul's writings, his, his, his epistles, it brought together the church. Ananias, this Ananias, never heard of again. He had to be obedient to go over and risk his life and he leads Saul to Jesus in a sense. And then he, that's it. So, so no matter who you are, what your place is, God has a plan and he'll use you if you're willing. No matter what our circumstances are, God is above them. Let's, let's just go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word to, to show us your love for all people. God, there's people that, that we want to hate in our hearts. I'm sure the early disciples wanted to hate Saul. And yet you used Saul. You saved him and you used him. God, help us to be open to you saving people that it's much easier to hate. Give us a heart for them. God, encourage us this morning that no matter what issue that we're facing today, well, you can come in and you can shine a light from heaven and change our circumstance. God, we invite you and ask that you would come and do that. Father, we know that sometimes we have to walk through circumstances, even as we see in the life of Paul. God, we pray that you'd give us the grace and the strength to walk through those circumstances as you did even with the apostle. 
Father, we pray that we would be those as Ananias who are close to you. And when you call to us, that we will just respond, here I am. God, give us that strength and faith to be faithful to you. God, as we go from here, I just pray that you encourage each of us, challenge us through your word to, to live sold out for you, to allow you to come and change our lives and speak to us. God, help us to not be so set in our ways that we need a Saul experience.